There's also a VBS meeting if you're interested in helping. It'll be right after church and Larry's classroom. So remember that. Remember your photos and all that kind of stuff. But, um, today's sermon, we're talking, we're continuing to go through the series on what we believe. And we're going to be talking about salvation. And salvation is like a core thing of kind of why we're all here and what it's about. And you might say... You know, why do I need to know this? But it's really uh, it's really been good that we've been going through this and kind of going back and solidifying the things that we believe and why we believe them. Because we're in a society, we're in Acts, and we're in a society that wants to have discussions about what we believe and why we believe. And we need to go back and revisit those things. And I think the biggest struggle about salvation, you know, is do we understand it? Have we accepted it? Can I explain it? Am I living it out? Think about that for a minute. Are you living a saved life? What does a saved life look like? And that's the question we're going to look at today. There's a lot of people that are choosing to live life without salvation. They're, you say, well, how? Why would they do that? Because they're not recognizing who God is. They're not recognizing who Christ is. And they really don't see a need or a reason why they need to even entertain the idea of salvation. Why do I need to be saved? What do I need to be saved from? You know, on Wednesday nights, as we unpackage this stuff, um, even the definition we're going to look at here in a moment, we've got to still translate. A lot of times we're into churchy talk. And we all know what a lot of these things mean. But let's not assume, the, you know, if I was an immigrant or coming to this country, and you know my, you know, those of you that heard my brother-in-law, his English is great, I'm just teasing it is, but, but it would be really hard to learn the English language. Because even if you know the English language, we keep changing what things mean. And when we study the Bible, we ask the question, what did it say, what does it mean, how would you say it? And so we're in a society today that doesn't, I would say, doesn't understand the word salvation. In other words, they may use it lightly by saying, oh, you're my salvation. You came through and you gave me that extra money so I could uh, finish paying for that, or you helped change my tire, or all that kind of stuff. But those of us that have kind of been raised and know this, we know that it's much deeper than that. So we're in a society that basically is like, what are you talking about, and why do I need to be saved? Because everybody's okay. You can choose to live a life without salvation, or you can choose to live a life with salvation. And as far as eternity looks, your, your action statement today is live a saved life. Live a saved life. And your steps, your points are going to spell out the word saved. And again, that term, nothing wrong with it, but for society to understand that, we need to kind of think, how do I explain that? We're going to look at kind of what that means today. Let's look at the definition. I know you're loving these definitions. And, and again, if you want a copy of this and, uh, by the offering plates in the front and the back, there are a little pamphlet that has this. And some of you, you can get this book electronically. But this is what, if you want to know what we believe as a church and what we believe as Baptists, this is what we're going through. And again, when somebody asks, I'm not ashamed that I'm a Baptist. I know why I'm a Baptist. But I'm a Christian first, but one of the reasons I choose, and there's a lot of other great denominations, is I, 
I feel Baptists try to be pretty close to the Bible and not be about themselves. I think we've got a lot of great denominations that are doing the same way. But this specifically lays out what we believe as a church. And so that's where we're going through all these things. So this is what this statement says. You can get in the pamphlet in the back. And again, if you want more in depth, the book. Salvation involves the redemption of the whole man and is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In its broadest sense, salvation includes regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. I think that's the only slide for that. That's what I've got down here. Sometimes I miss that. Well, here we go. We've got some more. Okay, thanks. <clears throat> I just put the front part on mine. Regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new Christians in Christ. It is a changed heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. Repentance is a genuine turning from sin toward God. And faith is the acceptance of Jesus Christ and commitment of the entire personality to him as Lord and Savior. Oh, we got a little more. Justification is God's gracious and full acquittal upon principles of his righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings the believer into a relationship of peace and favor with God. Now, I know that's in depth. We got more sanctification and glorification. <laughs> Just read it yourselves. Okay, let's <laughs> Sanctification is the, I only put the, the salvation definition out here because this is why we're doing it on Wednesday nights, guys. We're going in deeper here. And you may, I, I, I do want to explain this. You have theologians that have taken time to detail what we believe. And so what you're getting here on Sunday mornings is a summary in the form of a sermon. But I want you to know what we believe because what's happening is People are getting away from the Bible on these things and not thinking about it. And this is why we're in the situation we're in. Sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration by which the believer is set apart to God's purposes and is able to pro uh, progress towards moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and power, I don't have this memorized, <laughs> of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. Growth and grace should continue throughout the regenerate person's life. Glorification, I know this is the end, is the, <laughs> the culmination of salvation as the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. If I was in seminary today, which you might say I might need to go back, what you're seeing in seminary and those that come out, my, my, my oldest son has graduated a few years ago, is you're hearing the term regenerate a lot. Not degenerate, but regenerate. And again, we need to talk about what that means. And, and we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, but 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. And when someone is saved, they begin a new life. They begin, God begins to regenerate them. And so when you see that term through there, the regenerate membership, the regenerate life, we're talking about people that have been saved and they're entering a new life in Christ. Do I like that term? Am I getting troubled by fellow theologians and new ministers? No, I don't, because I still think society doesn't understand that. But I think we can understand, are you living a new life? Are you living a new life in Christ? And salvation brings that new life. 
Going back to the first part of the definition, and if they don't put it on the slide, I, I, don't, I don't really care, but salvation involves the redemption of the whole man and is offered freely to all who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who by his own blood obtained eternal redemption for the believer. In the broadest sense, salvation includes, here's the words, and we'll, I was doing the summary today, regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification. There is no salvation apart from personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. I would hone in, if you're learning a definition of salvation, I would hone in on that front part. And that's what the sermon's about today. And a lot of us know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation. It's the process, it's the way in which God redeems creation. Through his, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation is how God redeems the world through Christ. And so why is it necessary that we need to be saved? This is what most people be asking. I'm okay. Why do I need to be saved? Well, sal salvation, first of all, is rooted in the fact that God is a loving Father, that God is just, He is right, and that God justifies. So we need to be saved because, one, God loves us, and he doesn't have to be desirous relationship with us. And we need to be saved because God is just. A lot of times we love the New Testament, and the Old Testament, especially if you have the Lego Bible, gets kind of rough, okay? Uh, God's just going in there and cleaning the house. That shows that he's a just God, not a fair God. And a just God sees all. And a just God will judge all. And a lot of times we look at the Old Testament it's like, boy, that's rough. But that's who God is. He is just, not fair. He knows who is right, and he knows who is wrong, and he will judge. But he's a loving God. And in Genesis chapter 3, he begins to send his son to redeem us. And if we choose, I say it all the time, but when people say, how can a loving God, a loving God gave his son, and I wouldn't give any of my sons for any of you. Why? To justify us. To make us right. So salvation is rooted in the fact that God is loving, that God is just, and God is the one that justifies. And so why do we need, why do we need this sacrifice? Because of our sin. And what does sin do? Sin separates us from God. If, as we head towards Easter, we see that God could not look upon Christ when our sin was placed upon him because God can have nothing to do with sin because he is just. And sin separates us from God. We see that in Genesis chapter 3. The curse, the fall, the fact that all of us every day struggle with sin. And we know something's not right. The fact that we love creation, the fact that that we long for a relationship and, and the fact that, you know, you go to those of us that know Christ, we go to Romans and, and Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I, I do. You know, I'm, I'm, in my devotion time, I'm going through a devotion that I did about 20, I have maybe 30 years ago. And it has places for notes. And I, I read it today and if I really didn't have a relationship with Christ, and if I didn't have, know that I'm safe and secure in Him, I'd feel like a pretty big loser. 
because I'm reading what I wrote in 97, it doesn't sound much different in 2023. We're going to struggle with sin. And it's one day at a time. And that grace, sin separates us. God's judgment against sin created a barrier that we can't cross. C.S. Lewis in his, in his book, The Great Divorce, talks about that barrier. And then Jesus mentions it when he talks about the parable of Lazarus where, you know, the rich man and the poor man and the rich man goes to hell. And he says, I need, you, I need somebody to go back and tell it. And he goes, no, it's too late for you. They've got to make their own decisions. And a lot of times we're eliminating hell from the equation in our sermons and in our churches. And, you know, if you're still fearing God in that way after he saved you, that's Satan. Fearing God is respecting him, but you know what? There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And we need to talk about, yes, you can make your choice. We're going to get into that probably next week, you know, talking about man's free will and God's sovereignty. But there is a price that you will pay for the choice that you make, and it will not be good. Our efforts to live right, our, our efforts to be right are like filthy rags. Even with the Holy Spirit and trying to be holy, I didn't say perfect, but set apart. I need God every hour, every day. I'm still a man in need of salvation. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like polluted garments. All of us wither, wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. And some of the older versions say our righteousness is as filthy rags. I know we're all over the place on what color car we get. But I'm a low-maintenance kind of person. And where I live, my car gets washed when I cross the creek. Or if I happen to be going to town for a week, like Kansas City or somewhere, I may wash it. And I get in trouble with my wife either way, okay? But, but we all know there are certain colors, like black doesn't hide dirt, Okay? White does a good job until you put your hand against it and make it rub. And silver's pretty good. Yeah, I think that way too. But you know that white car that can hide dirt till you wash it? That's how we are. Our righteousness is Swiss white, off-white, eggshell white. It's not righteousness white. It looks as filthy rags. And so... That's what Isaiah is saying. We, you, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be able to handle that. And the result is this, Ephesians 2.1. And you're dead in your trespasses and sin. This is the problem. We are somehow, some way, because it's family, and we do not want to believe that people are going to go to hell for eternal punishment and separation from God. Because it's our loved ones. But you know what? Maybe if we believed in the reality of hell, we would get off our backsides and realize the only reason we're still here is to deliver the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, I say it, but if hell is not real, I'm going to go do something else. It's a beautiful Sunday. And if we don't believe this and the urgency of Christ coming back, Ephesians 2.1 is either a lie, it's not a suggestion. This is where we are without salvation. Dead in the water, dead in our sins, dead, hopeless. 
Boy, Pastor, you're Debbie Downer. Well, sometimes you got to get the bad news before you get the good news. Only the sacrifice of God's perfect, sinless Son, Christ, can satisfy God's righteousness, demand for justice, and cancel the guilt that, that, uh, that comes from that. And it's canceled through faith in what Christ has done. I can't save myself. It's faith in what Christ has done. God showed us his love by giving us his son. And he is our propitiation. Romans 3.26 says this. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. This is why when we're talking to our brothers and sisters and everybody's about Jesus, we need to understand that it is Christ alone, salvation alone, through Christ, through faith alone in Christ. It's not Jesus plus my works. It's not Jesus plus whatever. If Jesus is not the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through him. What hope, what hope do we have? Our, and we have hope in Christ's atonement. If Christ had saved, if God had saved us through Christ, uh, we, what hope would we have? Let's ask this question: How did God accomplish this through Christ? Um, Christ is fully God. We talked about this. Christ was fully man. He was tested in all ways, but yet he did not sin. And so Hebrews four fifteen says this. And for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, and as yet, as we are, yet without sin. If you say Christ doesn't understand, what do you do with this verse? He does. We need to understand. We've talked about children, and nobody teaches them how to sin. They just teach them how to sin better. Okay? And man gets pretty creative on that. But I want us to understand, Christ was not born into sin. Adam was not born into sin, and they had a choice. So we have the sin nature on us. We're going to struggle with our sin nature. But they have a clear, free choice to sin or not. We are born into sin. And he was tested by the devil for 40 days and beyond that. Okay? And he said in Matthew 4, 4, Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of, uh, of God. And so I want us to understand, he was fully God, he was fully man, he was tested in all ways, and he went to the cross, and he was our substitution for our debt. He was our atonement. He perfectly fulfilled the law, and he canceled our debt and our judgment. And by Christ taking our place, by Christ dying in our place, on the cross, Christ took our place with his life and paid the price, the penalty for our sin, for our sins with his precious blood. If we don't understand that and know that, man, those songs in the hymnal, we sound like some pretty sick people. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain that flows, you know, that's out of Emmanuel's veins. You know, I start thinking about that. I mean, we've got to think about the loss, but we know how precious that blood is. That sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says this, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We forget this in society, and people can't be saved, but over and over again, we see in the laws that God set up that sometimes you're going to pay, you may know Christ, and you may be forgiven, but you'll pay for your, your crimes through your death. And pastor's not trying to be mean, but if we went back to some of those things, uh, it's been proven in a lot of societies that crime kind of decreases when we understand there's a penalty for it. 
There was a penalty that if man was going to be saved, there needed to be a perfect sacrifice. Matthew 26, 28 says this, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. And we'll get, as we get into the Lord's Supper, we'll understand that we're supposed to remember that it is through the penalty of, of the blood that we can be saved. God required, required it. He required it with his life. He required it with his blood. He goes all the way back to Leviticus 17.11. says this, For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I have, appointed to, I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. We all know, unless you're an android or a robot, which I don't know very many of those. I don't know any of them, obviously. But... All of us have this thing that we need blood so we can live. Sometimes we need transfusion. Sometimes we need help with that. But blood is life. And let's understand, here man sins and is cursed and separated from God in Genesis chapter 3. And then God brings up Abraham. And through Abraham, he brings up a family. And through the family, he brings up a nation. And through that nation, he sets the Passover. When I see the blood, putting above the doorpost in the form of a cross, I will pass over you. He begins in Israel's DNA the process of the sacrifice, the spotless lamb that they had to do every year. They were training over and over again for fast forward to Easter, the Passover week. For the one true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, who paid for all of our sins, sinless. And it's awesome that somebody's got to pay for it. Regardless of what society is telling us, there is a payday. Someday. And somebody has to pay for their sin. He triumphed. He won over sin, death, and the curse. And it... it and it, pointed, it, it provided a way for sinners to be rescued, to be ransomed, to be purchased, to be liberated from sin. That's something to get excited about. Yeah, we're going to get to the points. And yeah, I know we got a few of them, but it works out. Okay, this, I know how some of you people are. This was his purpose. Matthew, Mark 10, 45 says this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Because of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says this. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he was committed the message of reconciliation to us. So this was his purpose, and those of us that have accepted Christ as our Savior and his salvation, that is our ministry. That's what I was saying earlier. Why are we still here? Because we know that heaven's going to be better than this. We're not going to struggle with sin. So why are we still here? Because he wants all to be saved and none to perish. And not everyone is going to be saved because they can choose not to be saved. Then you need to deliver the mail. And you, everybody here has a ministry. It's called the Ministry of Reconciliation. And what that means is you don't save people, but you tell them how they can be saved. Listen to their story, tell your story, and then tell his story. That's the one that saves. Living a saved life, here's your first film, get ready, strap in. Living a saved life means realizing salvation is the sacrifice of Christ to satisfy God's righteous demands. That's what salvation is. That's a, you know, that's a, not because I wrote it, okay, but that's a pretty simple definition. Sacrifice of Christ to satisfy God's righteous demands. That's what salvation is. Christ sacrificed his life to satisfy what God requires in his righteousness. Do we want a less righteous God? No. 
This is where the love comes in, that he loved us so much that he sent his son to satisfy his requirements. He didn't lower. Everything in our society, we just lower requirements. Talk to anybody in any kind of profession. They can't find anybody to work, and they start lowering what they used to require. Okay? God doesn't do that. He raised the bar with Christ, and Christ is satisfied. How is this possible? What does it take? Romans 3, verses uh, 21 through 25 says this. And again, I know we're getting a lot of scriptures here, but that little pamphlet has it, or the book, if you want to go back. And on Wednesday nights, we kind of go a little further. But Romans 3, verses 21 through 25 says this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of, of the glory of God, and they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ. God presented Him as the mercy seat by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. I would write that section of Scripture down. Because if you get nothing out today, that is the summary of what we're talking about, of what God did and how he did it to save us. That's Romans 3, verses 21 through 25. So here's the result. Salvation can be and is offered freely to all who accept Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't save anybody. We don't make anybody saved. Just because I sit in my garage doesn't mean that I'm, I'm a car. Okay? Just because Grandma was saved doesn't mean you're saved. It doesn't work that way. You have to choose on your own. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you wait till then, it's too late. If you hear, you need to receive. Because it gets harder and harder to hear that call of salvation. It's all about Christ. What the Bible says. Who he is. Why he came. What he did. And, and what it means to us. Acts 4.12 says this. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You need to write that one down. Because what you're dealing with right now is this. Christ plus, or I don't need Christ. And if you're in the category right now that you think people are okay anywhere else other than Christ, then you're saying that that piece of scripture is a lie. Why are you being like that, Pastor? Because this is a problem. We're, we're building relationships and we're loving people and then we're thinking they're okay. And then we're adding, well, Jesus plus this. Then what do you do with that verse? No other way to be saved. Only Christ alone, through faith alone, can we be saved alone. It is the grace of God that saves you. It's totally, understood, it's totally undeserved, and it totally takes grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, a lot of us know that. For you are saved by grace through faith. It is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. I can't save myself ever. Period. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be able to do enough. And that's relieving to me. Grace, the unmerited favor of God that, that provides us salvation. Your next villain, living the saved life means li uh, living in the amazing grace of God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more next week. And I think we got really bad definitions of grace. And I think a lot of times Christians are into cheap grace. But I believe in a costly grace. Somebody had to die your relationship with God. 
Somebody had to die so that you could have that new life. And if you love Christ, you want to love him more than your stuff and more than what you're into. It's a very costly grace. But it takes our choice to believe it. Saving faith is trust. It's faith. It's belief that involves all of us, not just our mind. Because, see, a lot of us are like, yeah, I understand it. I understand about God. But there's that point where you have all the information and you've got to still step out of faith. I remember being, you know, getting my Bible degree in college and there'd be those, people, those other students in there and they'd be like, how did all those animals get on the ark? Da, da, da. They wanted to know stuff exactly. And, you know, that's great. I know I frustrate a lot of people like when we talk about end times and they all get into it. And I'm, and I'm not against that. But there gets a point sometimes you're still going to have to step out. You're not going to know everything. You have to trust God. And the older I get, the more I try to get like that. But then there's areas that I'm still work on, obviously. But Romans 10, 9 says this. If we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. No, you will be saved. Faith is belief in the pers personal commitment. It's belief and personal commitment to Christ for eternal salvation. You believe that he lived, that he, that he died, that he rose from the dead, that he was able to pay for your sins. And so you choose to trust him for salvation. Say it about every week, that if God says, why are you here? There's only one name, Jesus, period. Faith lays hold of grace. It, uh, Adrian Rogers, and I know why you still listen to him. He's dead, but he's still got good sermons, okay? All right, but right. some of you remind me. Yes, I know I'm not Adrian Rogers, okay? But I am going to quote him for you kids, okay? <laughs> Adrian Rogers says this. It's your sin-stained hand saying to God, your, uh, your sin saying, I need you. It's your sin-stained hand reaching out to God and saying, I need you. It's calling out to God. It's faith in Christ is the key to salvation. Confessing with your mouth, Jesus is the only way to save me. Save me. If you've listened to some people's conversions, that's what it was. And even my brother-in-law, it might have messed you up how you heard his process, but he cried out to God. We try to make it so hard, but when we know that Jesus is the only way, he can save. So confessing with our mouth, save me. Believing at our heart that he is the only way to save us. And, and at our core. Your next villain, living a saved life means living with the, uh, victorious faith in Christ. Yes, the be fit. But what other kind of faith would you have if it's with Christ? Victory in Jesus. He didn't call us to survive. He called us to thrive. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branch, to you abides in me, will bear much fruit, but without me you can do nothing. So we can live a victorious life, not the way it's been sold, but it doesn't mean you're going to have great health all the time. It doesn't mean you're going to have all, great wealth all the time. It means eternally you are victorious. If the glory of the Lord is your rear guard and he's got your back, what has he got on the front side? And so we have victory through faith in Christ. That's awesome. Which results in regeneration. And regeneration is new birth. And we talked about new life. And as I mentioned, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. And the result of God's grace is we become a new creation. This is where a lot of us struggle. Because 
maybe you need to write your spiritual death certificate. I've done that before. If you ever had to deal with death certificates, it's a pain to make sure you got plenty of copies because you need it. We won't get into that, okay? I, th I think it's more trouble when people die than when they're born and what you got to deal with, okay? That's a little extra for you, okay? But write your spiritual death certificate that I'm dead to myself. I'm alive to Christ, but so many times we're not dying to ourselves. Living a saved life in your next fill-in means living an everlasting new life. I told you the younger generation of ministers, they're all about regenerate membership, regenerate church. And yes, I'm old and it drives me nuts. And it's like, I don't think half the people can understand that because I have to look it up too. But what we're saying is our people in your church, this is the requirement to be a member of the church. And you know what? Membership's not going to save you. But it's a good thing. But here's, if you ever want to be a part of this imperfect body of believers, here's the first question we're going to deal with. Have you found salvation through Jesus Christ? What we're talking about now. Because there's a lot of people that when I talk to them, they say, they don't tell me how they got saved. Right? My question now is, have you ever met Jesus? And how did you meet Jesus? But they'll tell me, well, I've been a member of such and such. Guys, membership is great, but it's not going to save you. Membership is a good thing, and it, and it allows us to know who we can count on. But around here, what we're talking about is, first of all, the questions we're going to ask is this. Have you been saved through Jesus Christ by the definition that we're talking about here? And if they haven't, who cares if you're a member? It's not going to do you any good eternally. And the next question we ask, have you followed in believers' baptism? The thief on the cross wasn't baptized, but God set up baptism shows a picture. And baptism doesn't save you, but it's something you should do to be a witness to others. And so to be a part of this imperfect body of believers is if you receive Christ's salvation under this definition that Christ alone, faith alone, and Him alone. And then have you followed in believers' baptism? But... Are you living that new life in Christ? So everlasting new life, the, it's, it's repentance and it's regeneration. That's what we're talking about. And so many times people stop with, well, I'm a part of this church. All good, but it won't save you. It's part of your maturity. But what we care more about first is, are you living everlasting life through Jesus Christ? That's, his mercies are new every morning. So what are the components of salvation? So how do I, how do I say? Let's break this down for a minute. Well, repentance is a good thing. That's part of salvation. That's a change of heart resulting from turning from your sin. Now, some of us take that the wrong way. i got to stop sinning. Well, how's that working for you? And it doesn't mean that you're sinning more. When, when Christ enters your life, you're still going to struggle with sin, but now you have the Holy Spirit... And hopefully you start feeling bad about it. Hopefully you feel more drawn to God. And you may struggle with it, but you don't want to hurt God. You don't want to hurt your relationship. And a lot of us, some of us that are OCD, I mentioned before, you know, I remember when I'm wearing something nice or I, our lighting in our house is horrible, okay? And I'll, I'll put something on and, and I'll go out and then I'll be in some better lighting and suddenly I see the huge stain and, and some of you may not see it, which you probably do. Okay, now stop looking at me, okay? And it wasn't today necessarily, but last week. Okay, but anyway, 
that's that's how we are. So many times, you know, we think I've got to clean myself up, and Jesus saved me, so now I've got to stay clean. You're not staying saved. You're you're saved as you're going to be, but you need to be living a life of repentance on the fact that when God shows you something, He's saying, "I can be closer to you. I can use you more if you give this up." Repentance is turn around. It's turning from your sin and turning to Christ. It doesn't make you more saved. It makes you closer to God. Godly sorrow for our sin. Genuine turning away from what, what, uh, from our sin. And giving, giving up uh, ourself and turning right to God is our new way of life. That's the everlasting life. It's the inward turning of sin as repentance and turning to Christ the Savior for life. When we repent of our sins with Christ, he changes us because of Christ, and you're justified. You, when you're saved, you turn from your sins, and you're justified. You're as saved as you're ever going to be. But now you're in a relationship. And Hebrews 12, uh, 5, verses 12 through 14 says this. Although, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need, uh, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those who, whose senses have been trained to distinguish between God, good, and evil. What is that saying? It's amazing to me you go to the Old Testament and you have a, a boy that was uh, seven years old and he led a kingdom and he had spiritual maturity and he knew to listen to those that are spiritual wise. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with physical age. Spiritual maturity does not have nothing to do with how long you've been a Christian. I've been a Christian since age five, but that doesn't mean I have matured spiritually that many years. Spiritual maturity has to do with this. Am I going to obey what God has shown me? And so what Paul is saying here is you're saved, you need to live that new life, and some of you are still on milk when you should be chewing meat, and you're spiritually fat little babies. And if you ever have fat spiritual babies in church, it's not a good thing. Because what do babies do? They're whining all the time, and they want more, and they don't want substance. Oh, pastor, you went there. It's what we're dealing with in our American society today. But when you can eat steak and the spiritual food, not that you're any better, it's the fact that you're growing a relationship with God. And you say, well, pastor, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it's the fact when God shows you something, are you going to obey it or not? Are you going to say, that's too tough? Can't chew that. A real Christian is a growing Christian, a maturing Christian. So that's part of it. The next part of salvation is glorification. It's the perfection of God's image in the church and believers when, when he comes to return. We're made in the image of God, but our bodies are wasting away. This world is wasting away. This is not what God intended. And there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and we're going to have a new body, and we're not going to have to deal with all the stuff that we're dealing with. We can make it look all really good and perfect on the outside, but we all know it's all falling apart and dying. Glorification is what we're looking for. And none of us have reached that. That's one day when Christ will make it right and we won't have to struggle anymore. Glorif 
sanctification is the completion of God's salvation. See, right now, those of you that have received Christ, it's a promise. And we know that he's able to keep that which we've committed to him, as Paul has said. 2 Corinthians uh, 4.17 says this, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. I love that. You need to write that one down. Yes, a lot of you are going through some really hard things. And I'm not making light of that, but you need to hold on with both hands to that verse and realize this is not how it ends. And one day my salvation will be complete. And I will be glorified. And Christ will be glorified. And God will be glorified. The glorification awaits Christ appearing. 1 John 3, 2. Yeah, this is a long one, but hey, it's a good uh, a definition we need to look at. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. Isn't that going to be awesome? You're not going to have to struggle with sin. You're not going to have to struggle with wrong desires. And that is a component of salvation that we are hoping and waiting toward. The end result of salvation is glorification. Your last bill in living a saved life is defined by the satiation. And Julie called me or texted me. I texted her head, yes, station. It is defined by justification. You're justified by God alone. It is defined by sanctification, that we live a holy, set-apart life, not a perfect life. And then when Christ comes or we go to be with him, then it is ended with glorification. And so the question I have for you today, St. Francis said, share the gospel and use words when necessary. What is your definition of the gospel today? If it is not salvation through faith alone, through Christ alone, then maybe you've never been saved. I'm not trying to make anybody doubt here, but guys, the only way you're going to be saved is admitting that you're a sinner, believing Christ died for those sins, was buried for those sins, and raised from the dead, and calling on him to save you, and calling on him to follow him as Lord. Christ is the only way to salvation. If that is not your story, we're going to have a time of meditation here in a moment. I encourage you to come and get saved. Because one day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that day will be too late. And you can't say that you haven't heard because you heard today. Get saved. But I think for the rest of us, it's time. I'm not saying it's time to be aware. It's time to get off the bench. It's time to listen to the Holy Spirit and realize the only reason you are still here is not because of your job. Not because of your family, not because of any of these things, is to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. That people can be saved. And this is our mission every waking hour. Christ alone. As we stand on our feet and have a time of invitation, maybe you need to recommit to that. Maybe you need to pray for somebody. Maybe your definition of salvation has been wrong. Whatever you need to do, deal with it today. Lord, I pray however we need to be obedient, that we will be obedient to you today. In your name, Jesus.
came out there.